Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508 252 3359. Propane Heating and Cooling. It's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment. It's Propane Plus, and remember with propane, it's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and now it's renewable. Call Propane Plus today at 401 885-4209. In Massachusetts, call them at 508-252-3359. They're very easy to navigate website. It's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them 401-885-4209. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. Weekdays, we start right at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dpetro.com. Well, it's Tuesday. It is December 6th. Obviously a big night with uh, the mayor of Woonsocket. She'll be reinstalled, sworn back in after the fall controversy where she was removed from office. But Mayor Baldelli Hunt will return to office. Now, folks, it's also a big Still, can you imagine the election still going on? A lot of people are still burnt out over the, you know, the election from just that we had November 8th, let alone that it's still continuing in Georgia. And th- this is this is a real test of whether or not Herschel Walker Walker can get across the finish line. He didn't, he was, he's not a great candidate. I know he's wildly popular there, but, and the person he's going up against is is really not a great candidate. But uh, this would be huge if Herschel Walker can pull this off in this Georgia Senate race. It's, in, un, it's just ridiculous how much money has been spent in this race now. I think they have spent, uh, Herschel Walker has spent on, in the race, or his campaign anyway, the equivalent of what Mitt Romney spent running for president in 2012. That's how much money is in this Georgia Senate race. It's it's ridiculous. There's so many things wrong right now with our political system. And especially, you know, I'm not going to go as far as Senator Whitehouse with the whole thing with the the dark money. But there's, there's definitely, there's just too much money. And, and also, you don't get, I'll go to an argument, you don't get the best people when, in fact, you just go with, you know, and, and Ashley Kalis is a good example. She wasn't a great candidate. Um, shouldn't have actually run for that office. Imagine if she had, in fact, gone for lieutenant governor. She probably definitely could have won that race, but but the money made her a candidate. Now, there's a lot of uh, stories on this uh, Tuesday. One is the fact that they have dropped the charges against the guy that was arrested for um, the stolen vehicle. Listen to this. Let's listen to the Channel 12 piece of this. News Now, I'm Adriana Rosas Rivera. The man accused of stealing a car with a child in the back seat has been released after police said they had the wrong suspect. 50-year-old Osvaldo Vasquez was arrested after a woman's car was stolen from the parking lot of a Providence liquor store last week. Police said Vasquez was released after footage showed him at the Providence Place Mall at the same time that the car was stolen. Vasquez was released last Saturday. We're tracking the story on WPRI.com and on 12 News. I'm Adriana Rosas Rivera. You know, so he's very upset, this guy. I don't blame him, by the way. Uh, he was he was in court. They showed him that it seemed Monday morning quarterback a little bit like quick arrest. Seemed like they had the right person. Uh, Major LaPayton said, I have to give credit. Detective still work in the case. Even though apprehension had been made, we don't stop when someone's been apprehended. So then they do have him there. This was the the mother went into a liquor store. Someone said they saw someone jump into her car, drive away. That did happen, by the way. Followed them and then pointed to that individual and said he went to the Omni Hotel and this person thought he saw this man 
jump onto a ripped a bus. They stopped the bus. They arrested him. And the entire time he was saying he was at the Providence Place Mall, he says he feels humiliated and feels detectives didn't do their due diligence. I was wrongly arrested for a crime I didn't commit. I've been telling them since they handcuffed me, I didn't do it. Check the video. Everything was a lie. The whole thing was a lie. Well, there was the eyewitness, the man who was then credited as almost like a hero. So I'm going to go back to the um, original story. We'll play that. But detectives say a witness followed the stolen car to the Omni Hotel, and he later positively identified Vasquez as the suspect. Yes, that's the guy I saw running from the hotel. So once he was apprehended, detectives met with the bus driver, who also identified him as the person who ran off the bus. Bus driver also told police he was the only passenger on the bus at the time of the incident. So the police are saying, wait, a witness gave us a positive ID, clothing matched. That's what you need to bring the charge. We did. So now they don't have any other, any suspects. But, you know, that guy was then on the news. We'll check with our legal analyst, Tim Dodd. Um, they may be on the hook on that one. Um, now, again, it, it seemed like he was the person. But, and you have... I mean, all the the asp, the elements of you have an eye, an eyewitness, and you have someone that then followed them and says, "Yes, that's that's who it is. Um, that's the guy that I followed." And there, I'm looking right now. There's the well. I'll play the Channel Ten piece. There's him accused of stealing the car with the the child inside. And that was that was just a week ago. So, all right, you know, mistakes can be made, but I, I agree. They thought they'd all the components of it. Eyewitness, yeah, that's the guy I saw that ran out from where the car was parked. Let's. Uh, this is the uh, Channel Ten piece. Last night with the child inside. NBC 10's Allegra Zaymore is live outside Providence District Court, where the suspect claimed it wasn't him. Hey, Allegra. And good afternoon, Barbara. A woman got a horrible surprise last night when she stopped into a Providence store for a moment, leaving her store. toddler in the car. When she finished her shopping, she found the car and her toddler were gone. A three-year-old was safely reunited with its mother after police say 50-year-old Osvaldo Vasquez stole the mother's car with the child in it Tuesday night. He made his first court appearance this morning. The lawyer representing Vasquez says he was somewhere else last night and not outside the Fernandez Square liquor store on Broad Street. A witness saw it happen and followed the car to the Omni Hotel where Vasquez allegedly left the car with the child inside. Police spotted Vasquez getting onto a ripped a bus. They say he later got off the bus near Charles Street and ran. Vasquez's lawyer says they plan to open an investigation because he says he was at the mall when the incident took place. Now, Vasquez does have prior records dating back to 2008, including a robbery charge from a few years ago. He will appear in Superior Court later this afternoon for a violation of bail. I've in Providence, Allegra Zay. Oh, boy. All right. Well, you know, they, they thought they had the right person. Um, and, and what really jumped out was the element of the fact that that they um, what really drew attention was the three year old still in the car. Right. I mean, that's what really got it but not so fast it would seem that they may have the wrong person well we'll find out with our uh, legal expert this even made the boston news three-year-old found safe after car stolen with toddler inside in providence let me just let me just um hear this i mean that's the three-year-old being found safe that was in the car now, someone was pointing out, what about the mother that left the child in, in the 
in the vehicle. How come they're not facing any charges? Here we go. Providence carjacking, they called Breaking it. Breaking overnight, a three-year-old child is being is found safe after being taken by a car thief. Police in Providence say a woman called 911 last night when her car was stolen from a McDonald's parking lot with the child inside. The car and child were found a short time later outside the Omni Hotel. Police say the suspect tried to get away on a public bus, but officers followed and arrested him. Now, you know what's interesting about that? That's the Boston version. Number one, it wasn't a carjacking. And number two, initially, I had heard McDonald's parking lot, but the liquor store is across the street from the McDonald's. So that's where that comes into play. Um, But it wasn't actually stolen. Now, folks, another story, and this is absolutely disgraceful, and I saw it last week. Well, actually, let me play. um, This is the piece where uh, Woonsocket Mayor Lisa Beldelli Hunt will, in fact, be reinstated (laughs) tonight never a dull moment um so you know a little bit of a uh, sabbatical i'm ready to take the reins again and then this is um the nbc 10 piece about her swearing in tonight by Winsocket city council in october will be swarmed back in again tonight nbc 10's Lambert zaymore live outside Winsocket city hall this morning with what she had to say following her re-election good morning Allegra. Hey, good morning, Mario and Allison. Just a few weeks after city council voted her out of office, Lisa Baldelli Hunt was re-elected by voters to serve as mayor once again. And the city council voted her voted to remove her from her position in October on charges that she violated the city charter and didn't perform her duties. Baldelli Hunt ran unopposed on the ballot in November and ended up with over 75% of the vote. Write-ins accounted for the other quarter or so, and among them was Councilwoman Denise Sierra. Sierra was the one who brought the charges against Baldelli Hunt. Of the seven city council members elected in November, three of the four who supported her removal lost. It's an injustice. They recognize that their uh, voices were silenced, that their vote was stripped from them, and that they were going to make certain that they came out and that they reacted to that, and they did. Now, the city's inauguration will start tonight at 7 and will be followed by the city council's first meeting as a group. Live and- so there you go. She... Uh... All right, no harm, no foul. But, folks, this other story, and I, I brought brought this up last week, the trash. So you have these homeless people that are sleeping out at the Rhode Island State House, and I covered it. They've set up a homeless encampment, and some of them are not even homeless. They actually happen to be homeless advocates. But there are some homeless people there, and, you know, where do you hear? Uh, I want to give credit to Channel 10. Brian Cannon does this piece, the amount of trash and needles and human feces that they I mean it's just absolutely disgraceful so this is uh the report by Brian Crandall and NBC 10 tents have lined the plaza leading up to the state house entrance now I'm hearing from some state house workers raising concerns about drug activity here and what's being thrown over this wall to where the employees go in and out a sobering walk into the state house tents belongings the people now living here and now concern over what's being left behind on the ground multiple state house employees who did not want to talk on camera have told me seeing needles is not uncommon oh. in the area on the other side of the wall from the tents a worker at the state house sent me a photo he says he took a couple weeks ago of two syringes on the bench near the employee entrance one of them appearing to be stuck in the wooden bench. Ah. We saw a syringe without the needle on the ground there Friday. It's, it's very concerning, you know, because you never know if you're going to step on something. Lisa Hodges has been staying in a tent here for three weeks. She says the needles are a safety concern for her and her dog, Gibby. It's, it's scary, but at the same time, I mean, you got to understand, you know, where these people are coming from, too. I mean, they could have always had a problem. They could have just recently got into the problem. Oh, you know, it's a drug den. It's, it's depressing. It's beyond depressing. There's needles everywhere in Providence. David Klein tells us it's his first day here, and it's better than other places where he's stayed in a tent. On concerns over the conditions here, oh. we'll have to survive, you know. I mean, it, it is, it, it, you can say that until you put one of them people in that situation. A state house worker sent uh. me photos of toilet paper near the trash cans that had apparently been thrown over the wall. Uh. Multiple people who work at the state house tell me they've heard stories of human waste left around. Uh. Crews came by this morning to do some cleanup. Although the conditions are not uh, ideal, um, but at the same point in time, 
we need to take it, this whole issue serious, which we are. Governor Dan McKee says the state added 350 shelter beds this year, as requested by advocates. And he says once a recently announced 24-7 warming station is up and running soon at the Cranston Street Armory, Look at all the everyone cigarette will butts. be offered a place to stay. And we expect that they would uh, take that opportunity rather than sleeping out in the cold. Or Brian, if they don't. Well, I, I think that we're, we're, we've come to the point where, you know, that's not an option, uh, you know, outside anywhere. Good. I agree with well, the him. governor not really saying whether he'd force the people here out. Now, the yes. state's Department of Administration, which oversees the state house grounds, oh. tells me in a statement that it is aware of the concerns about the trash, including medical waste, and that it has oh. arranged for daily removal and cleaning. Crazy. Now we have to Live pay for it. Brian Crandall, NBC 10 News. You know, here's the thing. So that woman had a dog. You can't bring a dog into a shelter. These people, you, you can't. It's list of demands. Me, me, me. Uh, listen, I fully understand there are people that develop problems. They need a safety net. We do have those things in place, thank God. No one's talking about getting rid of that. That woman that was talking with the dog, she seemed perfectly fine. But you can't bring a dog into a shelter. That's why, as I've been saying, a lot of them, they don't want a shelter bed. They don't want a warming center. They want free housing is what they want. They don't want to pay for their housing. That other guy seemed completely normal. First day there. What is he even doing there? See, this is where I'm going to put some blame on Governor McKee is just in his administration, I should say, is I don't think they're framing the problem enough. People are under this myth that there's all these people that have nowhere to go and they're homeless and they're just out there and Again, that's that's really not what's what's going on. It's people who they they it's not they don't want a shelter bed. They want free housing. That's what they want. They'd like permanent free housing, but instead they settle for temporary free housing. Until that is addressed, this is just going to continue in this manner. Ah, oh, but but now for some of the people saying, oh, just let them go in anywhere and rights for the homeless and everything. Come on. Syringe needles, the throwing human waste by. I mean, that is just absolutely disgraceful. What is this? But again, a, a lot of these people, it's it's a mix. I think we need different categories. These are not, as I mentioned, you know, the other night they had five people displaced by a fire a fire destroyed their home they can't stay in the home those are people that are homeless these people they don't mind living in a tent outside i, I don't know but they say don't mind but they choose that over joining the workforce getting a job set up these little communes all over it is dangerous there's violence there but that that is that is the Rhode Island State House and the, the people that work inside have to deal with that. Ah needles, syringes, toilet paper strewn about. You know, I had a feeling that was going on because I thought so these people when I was there, and again you can go to the website petro.com and so I was thinking, so these people they trek down to the bus the um the train station. If they have to use the facilities, apparently they're not doing that. Ah, toilet paper. I mean, what? Again, though, where's the? And I recognize some people would say those poor people. The uh, oh my god, those poor people. I just feel for them. They listen. There's ways to get. You you got to start somewhere. You you got to decide. All right, I'm not going to sleep out around there. Maybe they know someone that has a garage. Convert that into an apartment. Better than sleeping in a tent outside the state house. Anything is better than that being on full display. All right, it's Tuesday. We'll talk about that and more right here on the John DePietro Show. The next time you have an emergency, head straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122 in Johnston, or East Greenwich 5750 Post Road. AtMed Urgent Care, urgent health care facility providing comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families specializing in ambulatory medicine diagnostic treatment service at med urgent care they provide immunization school sports physicals they're a cost-efficient health care alternative 
to hospital-based emergencies. They're open seven days a week, walk-in, routine, urgent care, minor surgical, orthopedic and trauma, work-related injuries, physical exams, drug testing, full laboratory services, and with AtMed Urgent Care, they offer mononuclear antibody infusions. You, someone in your family suffering from COVID, you want to go straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, Johnston, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122, or East Greenwich, 5750 Post Road, online at atmedurgentcare.net. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11, we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 909.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. Joining us right now from the Pacific Legal Foundation is attorney Jim Manley. And Jim, I was just talking about this uh, very important case. I understand one of the attorneys on it. If you could uh, bring our listeners up to speed on what's going to be a, a very important decision. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. The yeah, the case is a really important property rights case um, involving what, what are the rules uh, and when can you get into court when the federal government has interfered with private property rights. And uh, our clients uh, live in rural Montana, uh, just outside the Bitterroot National Forest. And there's a, a Forest Service road that goes uh, across their properties. Forest Service has an easement for that road. It's for logging, for limited uses. And about a decade ago, the Forest Service decided they would rather have uh, a road open to the public, even though they didn't pay for one. <clears throat> and so instead of negotiating and, and doing the right thing and, and paying for what they wanted, the, the Forest Service simply opened the road to the public and uh, created a lot of problems for my clients. Uh, theft, people speeding by their homes, uh, one of my clients, his cat was shot. Fortunately, the cat survived, uh, but it's created a, a tremendous problem. And the Forest Service has said to our clients, uh, tough luck. Uh, it's, it's been too long. We opened up the road and you waited too long to sue. You took too long to try to work things out with us amicably. And so now uh, you're, you're, you're not allowed to come into court. And so that's the question the Supreme Court is going to answer. Right, did, did we wait too long? And, and how do courts interpret that time limit that applies when the federal government invades private property rights? Jim, I'm just curious. I mean, one thing, first of all, the case is really interesting. And number two, um, because of the television program, it's so popular, Yellowstone. Um, I'm just wondering how it affects, it kind of brings to light where... You know, people that they they have land, and obviously in the television program, it's fictional, but they they own private property, but they seemingly constantly uh, almost under attack with whether it is, you know, state or outside developers or various individuals who are trying to peel away some of their land. Sure. Well, and, and particularly in the West where you've got, well, I mean, across the country, there are over 600 million acres of, of federal lands, and a lot of that is concentrated in the West. Uh, and so the, the federal government is the, the neighbor to a lot of people. And, uh, and the, the way that this, that this statute of limitations, this, this time limit works when, it, when the government interferes with private property rights, makes it really difficult for folks to know when they need to stop being nice and start hiring lawyers. Um, because it's, it's very easy for the government to argue that the time limit has passed and very difficult under the current standards for property owners to argue, no, the time limit has not passed and, and we really we didn't wait too long to sue. In fact, it leads to situations where if if you don't sort of uh, get out your crystal ball and anticipate the arguments that the government is going to make many years down the line, then you you could be out of time before you even know that the clock is ticking. So I'll give you an example. Uh, the, 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 the federal government gave uh, some property to uh, the city of Santa Barbara for a, an airport. And uh, after many years of operating the airport, the city said, you know, we, we'd like to stop operating the airport. It's, it's not working well for our city and the federal, federal government said too late we gave you this property more than 12 years ago we told you it was for an airport and if you didn't like that if you thought sometime in the future that you might not want to have an airport you should have sued then it's absurd 
but it leads to these situations where where the federal government is taking more than it's than it's paid for and and forcing folks to um, you know give up their their property rights and, and as I as the example shows it applies even to uh, to local governments as well folks again we're speaking with Jim Lan, uh, Manley excuse me it's the Pacific um, <clears throat> a very important case for the Pacific Legal Foundation Jim I'm just curious going back to this uh, court case in front of the Supreme Court with your clients um, what what are your clients what are they they looking how are they looking to be made whole here well, I mean, I think learning a little bit about them helps explain what they're looking for. So, you know, Will Wilkins is uh, a veteran. He suffers from PTSD, and he's been a mountain man his whole life. He he spent three years living on horseback in the Idaho wilderness. Wow. Um, moved to Montana, raised his family there, and he's he now is a, a blacksmith, which really doesn't uh, do justice to the sort of metalwork art that he, he creates uh, on, at his, his blacksmith shop on, on his, his land there just outside the Bitterroot. And he's just looking for peace and quiet. He's, he, he speaks poetically about how much he values the ability to live in this quiet place away from, from uh, traffic and away from noise and and he's lost that. You know, the, the federal government has come in and said anyone can use this road. It's not just for logging anymore. It's not just the occasional truck coming by. Uh, and and the results have really been, uh, you know, devastating for him. It's 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 taken away this tranquility that he he came to Montana to find. And and same with his neighbor Jane Stanton. She she's lived there for uh, uh, many years. Uh, her, her husband passed away, and now she she lives on on the property uh, by herself, and and she values that that peace and quiet that she gets there, right? Uh, or that she had before the federal government came in and and, and opened this road to to anybody who wanted to come down it, and and importantly, open the road and then wash wash their hands of it. Yeah. One of our claims is the government needs to come in and patrol this road if it's mm. going to be open, and they've said we can do whatever we want. You, we don't we don't have to patrol the road if we don't want to. Jim, one last question before we let you go. We certainly appreciate the time. It is interesting because uh, I've dealt over the years with property owners that they go up against, you know, city or town, whoever, state, who's attempting to go after the property. And the individuals that on the other side, right, that represent the individuals that represent whether it's a city or a town or the state, federal government, but they they truly, my experience has been, they act like the 800-pound gorilla because they have the resources of that city or town or state, whereas the private property owner, you know, granted they may have an attorney, but they have to go out and get an attorney. It's on their dime. I have found that those individuals are unusually aggressive because they feel it's such a, they feel like they're, you know, Goliath, and it's, it's the ultimate David versus Goliath. Absolutely. Then, and they don't just feel like Goliath; they are. Sure. And, you know, take. I mean, this is a million-dollar case that, and it, you know, if Pacific Legal Foundation didn't have the, the the resources, you know, that that it gets from individuals all across the country, sending in fifty, hundred dollars to to fund this this litigation, there's no way that 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 Jane and Will could have taken this fight to the Supreme Court. Um, and so, if you're just a, a a property owner who doesn't doesn't have uh, the the, the good fortune to, um, to to be connected with with folks like like Pacific Legal Foundation or many other public interest litigation groups that are operating in this country, you are you are you not only are you David, you don't have a slingshot, yeah. and you're going up against Goliath, and and Goliath knows it. Uh, so it's yeah, it, it is it is definitely a David and Goliath situation, and I, I tell you, I'm just I'm really very happy that, that we're able to come in and, and step in and defend private property rights in situations like this. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be able to, to do that. Folks, again, it's Jim Manley, Pacific Legal Foundation. Jim, great to talk to you. Good luck. We're all counting on you, and we'll uh, follow up and see how you make out with the Supreme Court. Thanks so much. Great talking with you. Thank you, Jim. This is the perfect time of year to have some paving done for your home, residential, commercial, seal coating, and patios. Make it letter J, J Perry Paving. They provide high quality, fair pricing, exceptional service. Call them today for a free estimate, 401-732-1730. The next couple of months, get your driveway prepared for wintertime. Call J Perry Paving today for a free quote, 401 401- 
732-1730. Licensed and insured contracting company committed to meeting their clients' needs no matter how big or how small. Whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed. Call J. Perry Paving today. Affordable, smooth, safe to drive on, aesthetically appealing. Remember, even asphalt can be recycled, reused. Call them for a free quote. Letter J, J. Perry Paving. Look for them on Facebook and call 401-732-1730. Remember, no one's better to veterans than J. Perry Paving. Call them today, 401-732-1730. High quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, free estimate, J. Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. Start at 11, we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9. You can always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. Joining us right now, independent columnist, siblings, it is Donna Perry. And DJ, let's start off. Boy, Kevin McCarthy, for all this talk about 2024, Kevin McCarthy, he is on the verge of being and becoming the most powerful Republican in the country. Yes, and good to be with you, um, John. Um, the thing with McCarthy, even though he does have to, you know, get the vote, and that's going to happen in January, but he, despite, you know, a lot of back and forth, he is on his way to not only the most powerful Republican right now, John, he, he really can now lay out a bit of an adjusted roadmap, I would argue, you know, that, and he can a little bit detour from Trump, who was the biggest Republican, you know, and I think this is a big moment for McCarthy um, as they go forward. Um, I would point to whatever it was several days ago, you know, they had a big press conference on the border. And I think what he has, some of the things they brought out, John, is they are hearing very loud and clear from their constituencies. People feel the, the border has not been, not only is it not really working right, um, and they want to go after Mayorkas and just say, you know, you keep saying the border is secure, and it's completely the opposite. That's right. Um, and I think some things I thought are very little more innovative, and hopefully he's working with some, I'm sure he is, some very good people, like he's saying they want to hold the immigration hearings at the border, for instance. Now, a lot of the media would probably try to sidestep that, but I think that's actually, you know, kind of an innovative idea and just say we want to show firsthand to Americans in a really concentrated way what has really been going on down here. So I think this is a big test for McCarthy. This is going to be a big moment. Obviously, you know, you have to keep a lot of people on board. As you and I know, John, there are some very know, a little more far, far right Republicans that are in that caucus and they they're going to want to see what they want to see. So I think it's a big test of can he be actually he needs to be the Republican version of really of what a Nancy Pelosi did manage to do for, for a long time. And that was to keep both sides, you know, in in the fold. And that's what a really a big political leader does. So. Well, he's, uh, he's got a big, big, you know, task ahead. Donna Perry, you spent time in D.C. Talk about who was speaker at that time and what what is it like? Uh, you know, someone has described to me, you know, the you know, the president really doesn't go out a lot in Washington. The vice president doesn't. The speaker is different. The speaker's on Capitol Hill. The speaker's more accessible. In many ways, whoever, whether it's, you know, going back to, you know, Newt Gingrich or whether it's Nancy Pelosi or whoever, Right. That really becomes the dominant person out and about in D.C. Well, they they really do. And everyone wants their ear. Um, you know, this sounds awful. When I first started, I mean, it was past the Tip O'Neill era, which, of course, mm. was the most famous under Reagan in the 80s. Um, and I was there late 80s, just around to 90. Um, and then it was, I have to remember, because it turned into um, Indiana's big rep at the time, Bob. Right. And I, <laughs> I feel All awful. Right, not to put you on the spot, <laughs> but just the role of the speaker. Talk oh, yeah. The role of the speaker. Oh, the role of the speaker, John. Like, nothing, in a way, people would say the speaker is no one, is almost bigger than the president. And in some ways in Washington's world, because so much is at stake with the way they're going to handle you know, what gets introduced, what gets hidden, what gets, you know, thrown away, what gets on the floor. And so they become 
the really the center of gravity of the town, you know, because mm. they will, you know, let's be honest, the lobbyists want their ear, not just the members, of course, are always trying to work it. Um, and so that's just a huge, huge role. Um, in, and it's, it's going to control a lot of, you know, the tempo of what happens. I, I would just say as a cautionary to any of the Republicans, we are in a time when people are going to want to see some way, somehow, to feel a little more confident about the U.S. economy. I don't think that's like a small thing, you know what I mean? So I think that they, you, you can't just look like, oh, you know, we got to go after the Dems on this and that. You, you know, you have to reverse some policy, and it might be to relax where maybe tax policy was going to get you know, go, go up and, and say, no, we're not doing that to the public, but I think they're going to have to deliver. It's interesting. It's a lot like the, the speaker, in, whether it be the Massachusetts on Beacon Hill or the Renowned State House, in many ways, the speaker is the inside player. The speaker does hold a lot of power. I remember one speaker yep. of the Rhode Island house, you know, someone, I was with someone and with that person and they asked if they ever had any eyes on maybe someday running for governor. And, he looked like they don't. They don't call me out when there's a blizzard. They don't call me out when there's a hurricane. Right, that's true. Park Ridge, like I'm not doing that. The Senate gets the judges. We get the budget, and wherever the money is, that's where the power is. Now, speaking of uh, power, uh, folks, and again, we're speaking with Donna Perry. What's going on in China right now, DJ, cannot be ignored. This is a pivotal moment right now going on in China. Yeah. And John, it really is extraordinary because um, I think even beyond Russia or Iran or something, I mean, China, you just do not see mass protests. Um, We can all point to when there has been because that's how unusual it is. And I would just say, you know, isn't it funny after all that we all went through that back to the COVID, I mean, this is really about the public has exploded if people hadn't been following it because there was a fire. Um, I forget which uh, a province, rather remote Xinjiang province, but there was 10 people killed in a fire because this is so awful. They were in quarantine and they lock them inside. Oh. We've seen some of these images, JD. They, they like nailed the door shut. Yeah. They could, the poor people, and they could not get out and they died in the fire. Um, because this is this, it is, John, is beyond irrational. Yeah. This zero COVID insane thing in China, of all places, where, you know, people feel we still really didn't get the answer of how COVID started. And so now you have the optics for President Xi. I, I would argue this could be his biggest political threat. You know, you don't see thousands of people. They are taking to the street. I think it's remarkable. The little bit of coverage is through cell phone, you know, cell pictures that anything gets out or videos. And they're saying, I don't care if the police are here. I am willing to risk myself. Like, we will not stand for this anymore. And, you know, it is unbelievable as we almost enter 2023 that Mm. that they are taking this insanely like i say just a rational approach and but when you have thousands on the streets i think she's government john i think they're thrown by this um because the people are just saying i i don't care and but i also think what's been going on under she who is just the iron-fisted type of leader you know this is also a control of the population It, it really is beyond covid I mean, the idea of, oh, we'll just lock you down, you know. Literally lock them down. Yeah. The door so, locked and the firefighters couldn't even get to them. It's, so, you know, right. It's so I terrible. It's, but it is remarkable. You do not see, I think that of all the, you know, authoritarian nations, I think China, you know, you don't see the people just flooding out. We don't care. The police... Especially as um, other and some writers have pointed out, I mean, they are such a massive surveillance state. That's right. So they really follow their people, which is mm. awful. So, but we'll you're right; see. it is it's rare nationwide protests that are going on in China right now. Yeah, yeah. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Donna Perry, right here on the John DePietro Show. It's getting cold already this winter. Keep your family, your employees warm with Matthews Oil Company. Call them today, 401 
942-7500. Matthews Oil Company, 24-hour emergency service. For over four generations, they make it easy to keep your home comfortable and safe. Trusted oil delivery. Call Matthews Oil Company today, 401-942-7500. You can find them online, matthewsoil.com. Matthews Oil, Premier Dealer, Rhode Island, delivering the highest quality heating fuels. At Matthews Oil, they take pride providing reliable, affordable service for you and your family. Celebrating 90 years of service, call them now. It's going to be a cold winter. Get that tank filled. Call Matthews Oil Company today, 401-942-7500. In an emergency, they offer 24-hour emergency service. Matthews Oil Company, 401-942-7500. Our segment is Politics This Week. With me is Justin Katz, managing editor at AnchorRising.com. Well, Justin, we've had the homeless advocates. Uh, I went up there and covered some of that. It didn't seem to be, and I'm talking about the people in the tents sleeping at the state house. First of all, because the tents, they're not cardboard boxes. They're, they're actually very nice tents, expensive tents that someone apparently donated but when they're a dark collar, you, you can't actually tell, is there someone inside that tent or is the tent just empty? And so they had all these tents. They also had a lot of trash. But one of the individuals I interviewed, he's actually an advocate. He has an apartment. Maybe it's not a great apartment, but he has an apartment in Providence. And Governor McKee, back from February vacation, tries to do the tree lading ceremony. And so the McKee people, they said, oh, you can come in. And they gave them food and fed them and let them come to the tree lighting. And then uh, they ended up then uh, chanting and carrying on. And there was a, you know, decent police presence, no more than I think normally they'd have something like that. But I want to get your thoughts on the homeless. It's mostly advocates and two people dressed up as Jesus and Mary, but them essentially crashing into the Governor McKee tree lighting. Right. Well, I mean, we saw with the with the political co-op folks that early on in election season that this is that display is largely that it's largely a, a political display. Uh, you do wonder how many of them are, are actually home, homeless and how many of them are just activists. Um, and you can tell that by the fact that they put them up on the pavement right out front of the doors. They want it to be seen. If you were, right. if you're really looking for a place for shelter as a homeless person, and you wanted to be on the state house grounds, you would go down in that area that's nicely sheltered on the grass there. That would sure. be a great place for yes. a homeless. But they don't choose that. They choose the pavement right in front of the door because it's it's a display. Uh, and so you know we we accept that. I've got as far as they're go, they're crashing the Christmas tree lighting. I you know I've got mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, as you noted, McKee invited them in. This is a this is kind of like the Democrats getting what they asked for. They've they've yeah. made they've made excuse me they've made activism uh, a major thing right down to having project-based civics in the schools where they're training kids to do activism. So this is what you get. You get the, you get to where you can't have a Christmas tree lighting because you, you've invited activism as a way of life and a, a basic structure of democracy. Uh, so they, you know, in a way it's kind of funny comeuppance for them. But on the other hand, it, it's, I don't know, I, I really don't like that everything is now activism. It's always in your face. Right. It's always, you know, just getting going where you're trying to have a nice community event. I mean, from what I understand, they were chanting while kids were trying to sing Christmas carols. I mean, come on, especially if they're not, I mean, if, if they're homeless people who are maybe mentally ill, that's one thing. But if you're talking about activists who are just trying to get right. attention, let the kids sing Christmas songs. You know, that's yeah. they, they all, they, they probably went out to dinner in Providence. They got dressed up. They practiced the songs here they are. And now you've got these people No, our, our display of, of righteousness is more important than that. So I, I, I that's, that part I, I, I'm squeamish about and don't like, but until it starts to to really hurt Democrats, it's not going to be an issue. Until, for example, schools start saying, eh, no, we're sorry, uh, Mr. Governor, we're, we're not interested because we don't want to put our kids through that. And it's not worth the, the, the excitement of singing at your festival. Until they cannot get people to do these things and they have to start canceling them, uh, I think they'll just they'll just try to have it both ways, which is what they're doing. You know, that's a good point about last year. I think it was outside last year. And that's where then in the back when the, the you're right, the Matt Brown crew and they once again were interrupting. And it also, Justin, you're right. I mean, if anything, if you truly homeless, there's different nooks and crannies around the state house. You could be down on the grass and then you could actually you'd almost want to be in a kitty corner 
where you're blocked on both sides from the elements, right? With like both wind and, and a little bit of privacy, but no, that's, that's not where they are. It's also, um, you know, the element of trying to what invite them, <laughs> offer them food as if that's, that's going to buy them off. Um, I, I wonder also that when I was interviewing one of the, um, advocates that was there and I didn't mean to, I just went to go show some of the footage. He immediately beelined over to me and, but he's, they're spouting out like, and there's 500 people that are out on the streets that have, you know, nowhere to go. And then I, I heard like that was then quoted, I think in, in one of the television reports. And I, I don't know how you put a fee, a number on that. And then, but suddenly that becomes the number that is then just like pushed around that there's, there's 500 people. We don't, I mean, I don't know. Do they really know? Is it, is it really 500? Is it, is it maybe 200? Is it 250? I don't know how they come up with the number 200. And Justin, what I also noticed is this goes beyond, they, they want very specific demands. They want vouchers for hotels. They, they are not looking for just really shelter beds. They, they don't want a shelter. Um, they, they have pets. They have various things. They want either a voucher for a hotel or permanent free housing. And do you think that the local media is doing enough to flesh that out of, of quote, just the homeless? Now, they, as, as you indicate, they, they take the numbers they're given. They take the stories that the activists put forward. Uh, you know, if, if this is one of the big issues facing Rhode Island, which they're trying to make it seem like, then what we ought to have reporters finding out who are these people. Let me talk yeah. to all of these folks, not just the ones who come forward to be interviewed. And let me talk to all of them. Let me chase them down. Let me try to get a realistic idea of where these numbers are coming from. Uh, let me dig into what the actual problems are. I mean, you, you can't create a, a socialist paradise giving people free housing without creating incentive for people, for more people to seek that housing and become, quote, homeless. Uh, so that, and that's not what we want either. People need incentive to work as well. So there's a lot, it's, it's a very, you know, it can be a very complicated and intriguing public policy issue to, to consider and try to resolve and fix, but that's not what we get. We get activism, we get interrupting children while they sing Christmas carols, we get uh, you know, visible displays. And ultimately what you, I mean, if, if you don't, craft your policy well you end up and this is something local media could dig into as well you you get san francisco where there are miles and miles of of basically cities within cities that are urban uh homeless encampments and that's that's a you know you you start to really get uh into dangerous situations where people are are being abused and beaten and attacked and just because these you know it's it's not a very well regulated area and people are are exposed or they don't have lockable doors for example um even one of the articles said that if you're in a tent you don't like to leave because then you can't you're afraid your stuff will be stolen well yeah and when you have uh, encampments and that sort of thing that increases more and more so these these are not new problems they're problems that we've been addressing for for decades trying to figure out what to do with with a situation for people who are destitute like that uh and the answer i don't think is more activism uh but the and the biggest reason for that is the activism just makes it harder to come to a realistic decision because you can't you can't even have a a a honest conversation because it's it's suddenly emotional it's suddenly you want to you know we've been like they were saying with reference to the Holy Family, right? The, you know, for, no homes for 2000 years, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, you can't have a conversation with people like that. And, and yet you can't exclude them from the conversation until they want to be rational because then they'll run to the, the media with the headlines of how they were excluded from the Christmas tree lighting or how the government, governor won't talk to them. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's the, one of the harder problems here is just how do you overcome this sort of progressive notion that everything has to be activism. You're either, you're either doing exactly what they want or you're evil and want them to die. I mean, right. we're not, we're not having a grown up, grown up political conversations on issues like this. And you, you also um, bring up a good point. What about, you know, the family that it's a big deal that the child's going to, you know, perform at the state house and they get dressed up. Maybe they're going to go to dinner afterwards and they go there. And but the the activists, their issue basically trumps any type of celebration because Governor McKee's there. And, you know, that their chance of we want housing is far more like their rights and what's important to them is far more important than any of the other people that are there. That's that selfish element of, of me. They're so self-absorbed. Uh, they can't even see like what, what makes their issue 
so much more important. And Justin, also not to get too off track, but and I think we've talked about this in the past. <clears throat> there's it it it's they use the sword. It's like how can you attack these people? They're homeless. It's just someone even or an advocate. They may not be homeless, but the claim of homelessness becomes the shield that they feel that you, you, you like, how, how can you be a rotten person that you're actually criticizing the homeless? I saw some of the, you know, people I put on social media, I thought it was wrong for them to erupt. And, you know, how can you knock those people? They are like, it's, it's the ultimate victimhood. How dare you criticize someone that has no home? Right. And it's, it's, counterproductive i think a lot of this stuff not letting the community thing go forward i mean they could have made a much stronger statement just attending and and yes. being being there and being oh and then that would work right then, then you would say yeah they're just like you and me <laughs> they just came in to watch the ceremony they had some hot chocolate now they're going back out there oh isn't that a shame that they're living in tents the i mean if you look at say academic studies of of the more socialist policies of the nordic countries one of the things they often come con- conclusions that comes right to the front is they feel very similar. It's not an extremely diverse society. And so they feel like they're all part of the same sort of tribe. And this sort of activity where you're disrupting uh, a Christmas celebration and and chanting over children and stuff, it, it destroys that. And so it makes it actually harder to resolve the problem. People will may bend if they don't want to be embarrassed in public. But when it comes to the voting booth, when it comes to actually, say, giving to, to causes to charitable causes they'll do less because they you're no longer those those people who are just like me who had some rough are going through some rough times you're you're now this this group that that is demanding that you give them something and that's that's a real that's a real problem and it makes you think that a lot of the background here is not actually trying to advocate for homeless people it's a political cause they're putting yep. heat on the government a lot of them are probably tied to organizations that uh that make direct money from providing these services. Yes. So I mean, it gets very complicated in that way. And, and just the, the, the way they go about it, the way everything has to be political in our progressive society these days, I think it's, it's, going, to, it's going to make things worse, much, much worse over time. Folks, quick break, much more ahead. Our segment, Politics This Week, Justin Katz, managing editor at anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. Remain healthy. Stop in and see Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. You can also look for her on Facebook, but call her 401 305 3585. You know the building. It's that historic white church diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. It's My Health. What do you find inside? Well, first of all, great service, great selection, vitamins, herbal remedies from trusted companies, local products like ICE, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum. Over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices, plus hemp and CBD products, natural skin care. It's my health. Pop in and see Marie. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. There's things for your pets. There's things for your children. There's things for your health. Stay healthy at It's My Health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Again, call Marie, 401-305-3585 diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. 